If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 11, please. Matthew chapter 11. As I was leaving today, this morning, my four-year-old grandson said, Poppy, are you going to church? And I said, yeah, I am. He says, why? And I said, well, because I'm going to go and teach the Bible and talk about Jesus. And he goes, that's crazy. (laughs) But you know, as I thought about this new series that we're starting today, entitled, Who Does Jesus Love?, The answer to that question, as we're going to be looking at it over the next several weeks, to a lot of people is crazy because Jesus loves the the people who our world tends not to love and he loves in situations where it's sort of counterculture and so over the next several weeks as we look at these different encounters that Jesus has with various people we're going to see his heart for us and the heart that he wants us to have for others. So today we're uh, study number one and uh, we're going to be looking at John the Baptist. So let's read beginning here in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John, this is John the Baptist, had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for how you love us. And Lord, we know that we, you love us because, or we love you because you first loved us. And I pray today that as we look at your word, as we look at this encounter that you have with John the Baptist, that you would just expand our vision and our understanding of who you are and your heart for us in this time, in this era that we find ourselves in. And so we give you our hearts now in Jesus' name, amen. This past Tuesday, I had a meeting up in Costa Mesa. And so after our staff meeting here at the church, I took off about 10 a.m. I needed to be up there at about 11, and I can usually make it there in about an hour. And um, when, when I'm going on a long drive like that, one that's over an hour, I like to use my car as an office, so I get my Bluetooth out, I've got it in my ear, and, and I start making phone calls. And I'm, you know, just uh, thank, thankful for Siri. I can just say, hey, Siri, call Ed, and, you know, and he calls Ed, and, and I'm able to have those kind of conversations. So I'm cruising down the freeway, and, uh, and I got to mention, I grew up in Orange County, so um, I'm very familiar with the area up there. I've driven this drive thousands of times, but most of the time when I'm going up to Orange County, somebody is usually with me, so I'm able to drive in the carpool lane. And the nice thing about the carpool lane on that drive up to Orange County is that when, when you come to the merge between the 5 and the 405 freeway, you can just stay right in the carpool lane because they, they have a merge that takes place there. Well, I didn't have anybody with me, so I'm driving by myself. So I'm cruising up there, I'm on the phone, I'm talking to one of my pastor friends in in Colorado, and somehow, 
I missed the merge to get onto the 405. I still don't know how I did that, but somehow I just, I just missed it. And I didn't even notice it at first. I mean, I'm just talking and driving, and suddenly I'm going, this doesn't look right, you know? And then when I start seeing the signs for orange, I'm like, okay, I did something wrong. Anybody else ever done that before? Thank you for raising your hands. <laughs> so I don't feel like a complete idiot all by myself. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that I think we've all ended up someplace that we weren't supposed to be because of our own stupidity, right? We, we've all done that. But what about when you end up someplace that seems like it's the wrong place and God is the one who puts you there? How do you deal with that? How do you respond in those type of situations? I mean, have you ever had things turn out in your life in a way that it wasn't the way you thought it was going to turn out? It ended up being much worse. Anybody ever have that happen to you? Maybe it was a job opportunity that just turned out to be the wrong job. Or maybe it was a relationship. Or maybe it was moving into a new neighborhood. Or maybe it was a ministry, you were embarking upon a new ministry, and you were thinking that God was going to do A, B, and C, and he ends up doing X, Y, and Z. I've had that happen in my life many, many times. Many times, and I've had some things that have happened in my life that to this very day leave me scratching my head. Where I'm thinking, okay, that did not turn out the way that I thought. And there are things that have remained a mystery to me that I know I'm only going to find out the answer of why it turned out that way when I get to heaven. But when things don't go the way that we think they're going to go, it can oftentimes leave us disappointed with God. It can cause us to doubt, to doubt even God, to doubt that are we hearing his voice clearly? It, did, is he really leading us in this situation? Well, today we find John the Baptist in a similar place that I call his dungeon of doubt. You see, he has been doing everything that God called him to do, and yet he ends up in a prison cell. Now, when you consider the ministry of John the Baptist, I think John would be the first, thing, first one to say, this didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. I mean, you think about it, he has this incredible calling that starts with a miraculous birth. His mom, who was very, very old and who had been um, in a place where she, she was barren, unable to, you know, even give birth uh, to, to a child, and yet years go by. Now she's an old lady and she miraculously ends up getting pregnant. And that's how John comes into the world and he comes in with this special calling that he is going to be the advanced man, the spokesman, the one to prepare the way of the Messiah. And so he has this incredible calling upon his life. And as John embarks on his ministry, he doesn't start off ministering in the temple. No, he's out in the desert. He's not wearing priestly robes. He has this funky camel hair jacket that he wears and a crazy diet that he eats locusts and wild honey. 
And I'm sure, again, John's thinking, this isn't the way that I pictured that it was going to be. And then Jesus shows up. And John announces Jesus. But when Jesus gets going on his ministry, John's not his right-hand man. No, John finds himself in prison. He finds himself behind bars. Now, why was John in prison? Well, John was a gutsy guy. John was a guy who didn't really uh, think, take anything from anyone. Being politically correct was not in his vocabulary. And so he's this guy who's this edgy, unafraid, prophetic voice. And here's what got him into trouble. Herod Antipas, who was the tetrarch over Galilee, he ruled in that region, he gets, comes to a place where he's just kind of tired of his wife. So he dumps her. And he ends up taking a liking to his brother's wife. Her name is Herodias. And he talks Herodias into leaving his brother and hooking up with him. So now they're together. And when John hears about this, even though these two are, are unbelievers, John feels like he needs to say something because they're defiling the, the area, the, the Jewish nation there. And so he speaks up and rebukes him. Well, Herod ends up not liking that, so he puts John in prison. And I wonder, as John was in prison, I wonder if he felt, Lord, this just doesn't seem fair. I'm in prison for doing the right thing. I mean, you called me to be your spokesman, and that's what I did. I called them out on their sin, and now I'm in prison. And John spends 10 months in prison, and during that time, he's no doubt thinking and processing, and he's having his doubts. And he starts to doubt, is Jesus really the Messiah? So when two of his followers come to visit him in prison, he says, hey, I want you guys to go find Jesus, and I want you to ask him this question. Ask him if he's really the Messiah, if he's really the coming one, or should we keep looking for another? Now think about this. This is John, who's standing there as he's preaching around the Jordan River, and he says, there's one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to unloose. This is John, who as he's in the Jordan River and Jesus comes walking down to be baptized, that, that John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John, who when Jesus stands before him says, I should not be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. This is John who would say about Jesus and his ministry, I need to decrease so that he can increase. But now John is having second thoughts. And he says to these guys, go find Jesus and ask him if he's really the Messiah or if we should keep on looking. What is going on? Why is John doubting? Well, He's no doubt thinking, if Jesus is really the Messiah, why am I in prison? If Jesus is really the Messiah, why am I in this mess? I mean, I was just doing what, what God called me to do, so how come it turned out like this? And maybe you've had thoughts like that. 
Maybe you've thought, Lord, if, if you really called me to this, why is it so hard? Lord, if I'm really in your will, why is this happening to me? Why is it turning out like this? I think we have all been in that place or will be in that place at some point in our walks with Jesus where where we would say, Lord, this is not what I signed up for. And if you've ever felt that way, I want you to know you're not alone. Some of the greatest spiritual leaders that we know have often struggled with doubt and discouragement and even depression. Take Moses. In Numbers chapter 11, Moses gets to the point where he's so down that he says, God, just take my life. Or think about Elijah after his incredible victory uh, there on Mount Carmel over the 450 prophets of Baal. And then Queen Jezebel gets mad at him and he's running that. He literally prays, God, just, just kill me, please. Or take Jeremiah. who After years of preaching with very little results, Jeremiah comes to a place where, it says, where he says, I'm just never going to preach again. Or take Paul and Silas. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, it says of them that they were burdened beyond measure and despaired even of life. Or take Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher over in London many, many years ago, who would often, despite this incredible ministry, would struggle with depression. And he was quoted as saying that he gets so deep in so many dark places of depression that he said, I go to areas I pray that none of you would ever go. Or take the reformer Martin Luther, who also struggled deeply with doubts and depression. And guys, the list could go on and on and on. And I just want to ask of you, I just want to remind you, please pray for those who are on our pastoral team here. Because i got to tell you that being in full-time ministry, the spiritual warfare at times can be intense. And we need your prayers. So here we find John. He's struggling, and he sends his guys to go and find Jesus, to ask, them, ask Jesus this question. And I want you to picture this scene. Here's how I picture it. These guys come. They find Jesus. and like, excuse me, Jesus. John sent us, and he wants us to ask you a question. And, and we just want you to know, we're not asking this question. This, John's the one that wants us to ask this question. And this is the question. He wants to know if you're the one, if you're the Messiah, or if we should keep on looking for another. And I want you to notice the response of Jesus here because I think it's powerful and encouraging. Look at verse four. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. That the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. I want you to notice here what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, go tell John I'm disappointed with him. Doesn't say that. He He doesn't say, go tell John to grow up. Nope, he doesn't say that. In fact, he doesn't rebuke John at all. But what Jesus does do is he seeks to address the root of John's problem, which was his focus. 
In essence, Jesus was saying, John, you are focused on the wrong thing. Because John was focused on what Jesus wasn't doing. If you're the Messiah, why am I still here in prison? Why haven't you got me out of here already? That's what John is focused on. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you are in a prison of sorts in your life. Things haven't worked out the way that you thought and so you feel trapped. Maybe your prison is a physical illness. Maybe your prison is a difficult relationship. Maybe the prison is a ministry opportunity that hasn't turned out the way that you thought it would. Maybe it's our current culture with all of its chaos and division and it has left you feeling like you are in a prison and you're wondering, you've maybe been doubting, God, are you still here? God, are you with me? God, are you with us? And I want you to pay attention to what Jesus is doing here with John. In essence, he's saying, John, don't focus on what I'm not doing. I want you to focus on what I am doing. So he says, you guys go back and go tell John the things that you see and the things that you hear, how the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor are taken care of. And everything that Jesus is referring to here, it was all Messiah stuff. It was all stuff that in the Old Testament, that the Old Testament prophets said, this is what the Messiah, when he comes, this is what he would be about. And John knew this. And Jesus wants John to change his focus. John, focus on what is happening. Don't focus on what isn't happening. And that's exactly what Jesus wants all of us to do as well. You know, Pastor Chuck used to say, when you don't know what is going on, fall back on what you do know. And that is such great advice. Because our problem is is we have the tendency to focus on what God isn't doing. Instead of focusing on what he's already done. And what he's currently doing in, in our lives. This is one of the reasons why I... I'm such a big advocate, and I do this personally, of journaling. Now, a lot of times when guys hear, you know, the idea of journaling, they think, oh, that's a, that's a chick thing, you know, because they think of diary. A diary is a chick thing, okay? But, but journaling, okay? Guys, they make them out of leather, all right? I mean, they're, they're awesome, okay? They're manly, okay? <laughs> journaling is writing down things that God is showing you in his word. It's writing down things that you're praying about and then writing down the answers to those prayers. Writing down the things that God is doing in your life. And I have found in my walking with Jesus, this is so incredibly important because I have a natural tendency and just the way that I'm wired to focus on what still needs to be fixed. 
I have a natural tendency to focus on what still needs to get done. I have a natural tendency to focus on the things that God isn't doing instead of focusing on the things that he is doing. And so when I find myself at times just getting in a funk where I could start to get depressed and just kind of discouraged because I'm so focused on what isn't happening or what I thought should happen that isn't happening the way that I thought it should be happening, that I pull out my journal and I start to read and I'm reminded of God's faithfulness in my life. I'm reminded of the times that he answered the prayers that he's answered over the past year. I'm reminded of the things that, that he has done in my life and done in our church. And it does such an incredible thing of just getting my mind and my focus where it really needs to be. And I'm focused on what God has done and what he's doing instead of what he isn't doing. I need that. I need to do that often. I need people in my life like my wife and some of the people that I work with who are so good at helping me see when sometimes all I see is the darkness and they see the light at the end of the tunnel and they're able to point me to that. Or the times when when, when I see just the problems and they're able to point out where there have been solutions and and I'm able to to learn to to celebrate the victories. I need that in my life. And I think this is a word from the Lord for a few of you here today because you've been filled with doubt. You've been discouraged. Your focus has been on the wrong thing. And I want to encourage you. This is the word from the Lord for you today. That when we're done here today, that you go out, you spend some time today, and you start writing down. You get a notebook out. You get a piece of paper. You write down the things that God has done already in your life. Starting with the cross. That you were on your way to hell, and now you're on your way to heaven. That should be at the very start of every single one of us. But then also just writing down the things, the answers that to prayer that he has answered. The times where he has shown his faithfulness in your life. And as you do that, as you fill up that page with the things that God is doing and has already done in your life, your perspective is going to change. Your heart is going to be lifted. And I want to encourage you, praise him. Worship him there in that moment as the lifter of your head. But I want you to note this. Jesus is not disappointed with you because of your doubt and your discouragement, but he doesn't want you to stay there. Look at verse 6. This is the last thing he says to these guys to say to John. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, this is a subtle warning that Jesus has given to John. You see, the word offended can be translated stumbled. And it was a word that was used to describe when an animal would get caught in a trap. And this is what Jesus is saying to John. If you don't change your focus, John, it's going to trap you. And it's going to ruin you. And the same is true. For us here today, Jesus is saying to you and to me, if you don't change your focus, it's going to trap you. 
and it's going to ruin you. Some of you here today, you are at a point, you are at a crossroads. And Jesus says, look, you can go this way toward freedom and joy by focusing on what I've done and what I'm doing right now in your life, or you can go down this path, continuing to focus on what I'm not doing or what I haven't done, and it's going to lead you to a place of being trapped and being ruined by your discouragement, your doubt, and your depression. But the choice is up to us. We're at a crossroads. Which path are we going to choose? There's one last thing I want us to look at here before we go our way today. Look at verse 7. It says, as they departed. Now, other translations say as they were leaving, which means that these men, these friends of John the Baptist, were still in earshot of Jesus, and they're about to hear what he's going to say about John. So as they were leaving, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out and see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft Clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Now there's a lot here that we could unpack. But there's one simple point that I want to make, and it's this. Jesus still thinks highly of John. He's not ashamed of John. He's not disappointed in John. In fact, he says, of those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because John was faithful to the calling that God had given him. He preached around that area of the Jordan River, calling people to repentance. He taught that all flesh would see the salvation of God. He instructed those who came to be baptized to bear fruits worthy of repentance. He taught about charity and said that if we have plenty, we should share it with others. Or as we like to say, we've been blessed to be a blessing. That was John's message. John was faithful to the call, and John had a special mission mission and special place in the heart of Jesus and in the story of Jesus, and Jesus wants everyone to know just how special John is. And I want you to note this. This tells us Jesus takes note of faithfulness. He's blessed by faithfulness. And even in this low moment in John's life, when he's having a crisis of faith, Jesus is focused on what he did right. He's not focused on that. You see, Jesus knows this about all of us. He knows that our spirits can be willing, but so often the flesh is weak. Remember he said that to his disciples one day. He said, guys, you know, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And it wasn't an indictment. It was just a fact. And Jesus knows that about us. He knows 
the struggles that we can have with our flesh. He knows that there will be times when the flesh just gets the best of us, but that's not what Jesus focuses on. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, the writer of Hebrews is, is writing about Jesus, and he calls him there the author, excuse me, the captain of our salvation. And as he's speaking about Jesus as the captain of our salvation, he makes this statement. He says, and Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brothers and his sisters. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Have you ever had a sibling where someone said to you, isn't that your brother or isn't that your sister? And I'm like, "Uh, no, I don't know them, you know? (laughs) Or maybe another Christian hey, don't they go to your church? And you're like, um, no, I've never seen them before, you know, because they're weird. And and, and we're like, you know, I just, I don't don't know, you know, I just, I don't want to own them. I don't want to associate with them. Jesus never feels that way. And think about, man, not all of us, he sure could, right? He could be like, oh man, I robbed. I don't know him, no, not at all, you know, but he doesn't. No, he's not ashamed, He's not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. And maybe you are struggling today with doubt. Because something in your life hasn't turned out the way that you thought. Or maybe you are struggling today with discouragement. Maybe you've given in to the flesh recently and the devil has been trying to pound you down with condemnation. And I've told you this before. The difference between condemnation and conviction is that condemnation is that voice of the devil that is always seeking to push us away from God. It's that voice that says, man, you blew it too bad this time. God is just done with you. But the voice of conviction is the voice of the Holy Spirit that says, Rob, yeah, you blew it. And that's why you need to repent. You need to turn from that and you need to come back because I don't want there to be anything between you and me because I love you so much. And that's the difference, that voice of condemnation, that voice always pushing us away. But the voice of the Holy Spirit, the conviction, is always pulling us near. And know this, Jesus, he's not ashamed of you, but he loves you and he's for you. You know, we've, we've titled this series, Who Does Jesus Love? And there's a question mark and there's like a fill in the blank. And you know what you could put in, in there? You. He loves you. He loves you. And he is for you. And the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest who became a human being and was tempted in every way as we are, but he didn't sin. But as a human being, he went through the difficulties that we go through. He experienced sorrow like we experienced sorrow. He experienced being betrayed by friends like we have been betrayed by friends. And the writer of Hebrews says he went through all of that so that you would know that he's able to sympathize with you in your weaknesses and in your struggles. And then he says, and because you have that kind of high priest... I want to invite you to come boldly to the throne of God that you might receive grace and mercy to help in your time of need. Some of you are at a crossroads today and the question is this, what are you going to focus on? What, are you going to focus on what's not happening? What didn't turn out the way that you thought? Or are you going to focus on what God has already done? 
and what he is currently doing right now. Now, perhaps you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower. You're watching online. You're not a Jesus follower. Or you're somebody that maybe professed faith in Christ one day, and, but now you've walked away from him. And the reason why you have walked away or haven't really turned to Jesus is because there are things in your life that you thought were going to happen a certain way and they didn't. And so you've been disappointed with God. You've been hurt by someone. Or you've been left by someone. Or the dream that you were pursuing didn't pan out the way that you thought. And you have been focused on what God didn't do to stop something or to fix something. Can I encourage you today to focus on what he did do? That when you were lost in your sin, God sent his only begotten son to leave heaven and come to this earth to go to the cross to pay the price for all of our sins. To take the punishment that we deserved. And then three days later, rise again from the dead and give life to anyone who would believe in his name. He did that for you so that you could be his son or daughter, so that you could know him. But but, but there's more. Because we all have these things in our life. For some of you, it was that wreck that you should have been a statistic. And you said, Boy, I got lucky on that one. It wasn't luck. It was God. He was watching over you at that moment. He was trying to get your attention. Or that situation where you blew it royally and should have been fired and you weren't. You're like, boy, I got lucky. It wasn't luck. It was God. Looking out for you. Watching out. Trying to get your attention. Wanting you to know that he desires to be involved in your life. Because he loves you. And he desires to have a relationship with you. You know, it's interesting when we talk about John, when we think about his life, from an earthly standpoint, it didn't end real well. He didn't get out of prison. Well, he did, but not the way he wanted to. He got his head cut off, okay? He was beheaded. But I I guarantee you this. When John breathed his last on earth and his next breath was in God's presence, He wasn't like, God, I've got a bone to pick with you. Not at all. See, the Bible says that when we get to heaven, all the stuff that didn't make sense, suddenly it's going to make sense. And he's like, oh, now I understand. I get it. I understand what you were doing. And that's going to be the story with every single one of us. All this stuff that doesn't make sense that's gone on in our lives is going to make perfect sense when we stand before the Lord, when we enter into heaven and we're going to be like, oh God, you are amazing and, and I understand now exactly what you are doing and why. But today, we're at this crossroads We have these disappointments. We have these things going on in our life that haven't turned out like we thought. Which path are we going to go? Are we going to stay on that path of just discouragement and doubt that could literally end up trapping us and ruin us? Or are we going to go down that road of freedom and joy and realizing and focusing on what Jesus has already done to save us, what he, the many, many things that he's done in our lives because as we were singing today, he is faithful always. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you 
for your word. Lord, I thank you when I think about John, and I've been in that same dungeon many times in my life, that dungeon of doubt. Lord, I thank you that you were so kind and gentle with him. I thank you, Lord, for that, that you focused on not his crisis of faith, but what he did right. That you're not ashamed to call any of us here your brothers and sisters, your children, that you love us. And Lord, I pray today, especially for those here who find themselves in that crossroads, or maybe they've been focusing on the things you're not doing or haven't done or the things that haven't turned out the way that they thought and they, their hearts are being filled, have been filled with discouragement and doubt, maybe even depression. Lord, I pray right now in this moment that they would make a choice to focus on what you have done, starting with at Calvary. That you today would be the lifter of their heads. I pray, God, for anybody here today that maybe has never made that decision to become a Jesus follower because they've been focusing on the wrong things that today they would, that right now as your Holy Spirit's been speaking to their hearts about how much you love them, I pray, God, that they would make that decision today to turn to you, to ask you to forgive their sins and to cleanse them. Remove the sin and the the guilt and the shame and come into their life. Lord, thank you for being such a faithful friend, a loving father. We love you, Lord. As we remain just in this attitude of prayer right now, I think the Lord wants us to do something. Especially for those of you who have maybe been in that place where you've been focused on the wrong thing. You're discouraged. Maybe doubting. As the band begins to lead us in a song, I'm going to invite you to just come forward here. Come either stand up front here or kneel down on this carpet. And it's, it's an act of surrender. And I think what Jesus is saying to you today as you're at that crossroads, surrender that doubt. Surrender that discouragement. Confess today that you have been focused on what he hasn't been doing instead of on what he has been doing. And allow Jesus to just meet you right now in this moment. Bring that thing that you've been struggling with. Just lay it down before him today. And as you do that, Some of our elders and pastors, they're going to just come and just lay hands on you during this time. Just pray over you. Just meet you in this moment. I think God wants to just lift our hearts today as we take this moment to just come before him. So if that's you, if you're here and like I said before, you have never really given your life to Christ, let this be your moment of surrender to just come and lay your heart before him and allow him to just touch you and forgive you. But I think there's some of you here that you've been wrestling, struggling. You came in here just overwhelmed and discouraged. And Jesus wants you to lay that down today. And he wants to be the lifter of your head.